This is Curl Up with a Cat Tale, and I'm Gwen Cooper, the New York Times bestselling author of numerous cat-centric titles, including Homer's Odyssey, A Fearless Feline Tale, or How I Learned About Love and Life with a Blind Wonder Cat, Spray Anything, More True Tales of Homer and the Gang, and The Book of Possum, Head Bonks, Raspy Tongues, and 101 Reasons Why Cats Make Us So, So Happy. We're here to celebrate all things feline and to tell inspirational cat tales. Let's get started. Hello, and welcome to an all-new episode of Curl Up with a Cat Tale with Gwen Cooper. I am, of course, Gwen Cooper, your host, and delighted to be here with you today. And I'm delighted to be able to bring you, later on in today's episode, the second part of our fascinating conversation with philosopher John Gray about his book, Feline Philosophy, Cats and the Meaning of Life, a book you should definitely Run, don't walk to grab a copy of immediately. And when I say philosopher, I mean that he is an actual philosopher and he has taught philosophy and European thought at Oxford, Harvard, Yale, the London School of Economics. And this is in addition to the numerous critically acclaimed books that he has written on the subject. It is not strictly necessary for you to have heard the first part of our two part interview on last week's episode. But if you are, if you're tuning in now, having not listened to that episode, I definitely encourage you to do so after you finish listening here. Again, it it doesn't really matter what order you listen to it in, and it is certainly not strictly necessary that you have heard the first part to listen to the second part, but I definitely encourage you to check out both parts. It's just, uh, yeah, a great interview and one that I'm really proud and, and pleased to be able to bring to you. And I did want to clarify, by the way, um, just a couple of things based on on last week's podcast. You know, so I I just kind of record things. I I go with the flow, and I don't like to do too much editing or or be too canned or too rehearsed. But every so often, things come up, and and I feel they when I'm listening to it later on, I feel could use some additional clarification. And so just a couple of things, not that anybody has contacted me about these things or, or reached out, but but just to clarify, uh, first, there was a part in the first interview where John and I were discussing the idea, briefly discussing the idea of a feline afterlife, and we were both laughing. I, I do not know why John was laughing, but the reason that I was laughing uh, John was saying something to the effect, uh, laughingly, that he felt that it was as likely that the cats would have an afterlife as humans. And the reason I was laughing is because John is has been it, it, very vocal on the subject of not believing that there is an afterlife for anybody. And so when he was saying, well, I think you know, something to the effect that he believes it's as likely for there to be a cat afterlife as a human afterlife and laughing – or I was laughing because, of course, he does not believe that there's an afterlife for either. And I do not want to get into that particular discussion right now. But to say that I was laughing at that, not at the idea that there, the cats have a soul or, or might have some sort of a life after this life, that it was a ridiculous notion, that was not the source of the laughter. Just that the person I was talking to has been clear in his belief that he does not believe in an afterlife for anybody. Um, I also... Again, and I, I feel the need. I, we have a lot of new lit listeners lately, 
Um, so, uh, you know, certain things, forgive me if this is something you've heard me say before, but we were talking, John and I, a little bit about medical care for cats and, and end-of-life care, and I mentioned uh, at one point that I had spent $20,000 over one 18-month period on health care for my cats. And you can go back and you can listen to the conversation and listen to it in context, but I always like to be clear when I list these very large amounts of money that I spent at certain times on healthcare for my cats, uh, I, I just want to be clear about a few things, which is that my situation is unique because I make my living writing about my cats, so the money that I have, I have because of my cats. I do not have children. At the time that I spent this money, I did not have a mortgage. And and again, the money that I did have, my cats, in essence, had, had helped me to earn. So for me to spend, and by the way, at le- you know, here in the United States, and we have some international listeners as well, because I write about my cats for a living, all expenses related to my cats are tax deductible, which certainly does not completely reimburse me by any means, but it certainly helps me save some money at the end of the year. So th- the point being that, again, I as a, I write about my cats. I do not have a ton of other financial obligations. My cats are tax deductible. And so my point is never that other people should feel like I am saying this is an amount of money you should spend or are obligated to spend or that you are not keeping up with me or with others like me if you are not spending this amount of money. And again, this is something that John and I talked about in the last episode, but my philosophy is always that it's some combination of what you can realistically afford to spend and what your cat is realistically going to tolerate in the way of advanced medical care. I don't want to really get too deeply into the subject. Again, this was something that was discussed more at length last week, but I did just want to clarify that I do not name dollar figures to to create some sort of a sense in other people as to this is what you should be spending. And I will also say that when it came to Homer, who was my most famous cat and and the cat um, who I had written Homer's Odyssey about... When it came to Homer, I ended up spending on Homer's end-of-life care about $250, which was what the blood test cost, and that was because Homer firmly rejected any kind of health care at all. And that's a story that I'm actually going to tell next week. A couple of people have written and asked what I mean when I say that Homer rejected medical care. It, it is... Uh, it is kind of a, a great story. Uh, it was difficult to go through at the time, but my little guy was, uh, was feisty and quite a fighter. And, and so I will, we'll, we'll talk about, I will tell that story about Homer got, how Homer got himself banned for life from the animal hospital that I had bringing my, had been bringing my cats to for a decade. Uh, that, that will be next week's curl up with a cat tail episode. But this week, we are going to be getting the second part of our conversation with John Gray, and I'm going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, Before I do so, though, I do want to take a couple of seconds just to thank, and I did not do this last week, but to thank those of you who support me and who support my writing and who support this podcast on Patreon. And Patreon, of course, is what enables me, my Patreon supporters, are what enable me to present this podcast to you completely free and independently of any sort of corporate advertising or sponsorship. 
And it's it's a lot of fun, actually, Patreon. It's it's a small community of us, and, and there are a lot of uh, fun bonuses and extras. There are things that I write that are just for my Patreon community. There's a bonus podcast that I produce just for my Patreon community. I share a lot of pictures and stories about the cats and Homer in particular that have never been published or shared anyplace else and that are exclusively for my Patreon supporters. And so I encourage you guys to check it out. You can go to Patreon, P-A, that's a P as in Peter, A-T as in Thomas, R-E-O, and as in Nancy, patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper, all one word, patreon.com slash Gwen Cooper. And I am going to give a brief shout out, as I do every month, to Patreon supporters at the $5 level and higher. If you are a Patreon supporter that fits that description and you do not hear your name today, then I will give you the shout out either next week or the week after. It is too long a list for me to share all in one episode. But just to thank a few of you, including Melanie Morningstar, Cammie Tressler, Giselle Baxter, Gina Woods Norris, Julie Lowe, Aislinn Benfield, Annalie Evans, Shelley Ratter, David Hepburn, Mary Wispy, Stephanie Rison, Andrea Kenner, Penny Nakutsu, Cindy Settle, Grace Brown, April Crawford, Nita Mercer, Anne Tetmeyer, Don Cole, Ronald Coltnow, Allison Amsterdam, Melissa Ratchko, Deborah Cab, Ken Kistner, Cynthia Erdley, Nancy Ross, Meg Last Name Withheld, Emily Stafford, Jill Graves, Debbie Bradley, and Amy Neal. Thank you so much to all of you for your incredible support. It means more to me than I can say. And just to refresh your memory about today's guest, John Gray, who's here for the second part of our two-part conversation. John is the author of numerous critically acclaimed books, including The Soul of the Marionette, A Short Inquiry into Human Freedom, Straw Dogs, Thoughts on Humans and Other Animals, and The Silence of Animals on Progress and Modern Myths. A regular contributor to the New York Review of Books, he has been a professor of politics at Oxford, a visiting professor at Harvard and Yale, a professor of European thought at the London School of Economics, and has been called, quote, one of the most important thinkers alive by the Times of London. These days, he is a full-time writer, and he is joining us once again today to discuss his book, Feline Philosophy, Cats and the Meaning of Life. We're going to take a very short break of about 30 seconds or so. And when we return, we will be here with part two of our conversation with John Gray. So sit back, relax, get comfortable and stick around for more Curl Up With a Cattail. subject of love, actually. This was something else I wanted to discuss with yeah. you. Because at one point in the book, you say, in love, humans are ruled, human beings are ruled by self-deception. When cats mm. love, on the other hand, it is not in mm. order to fool themselves. Cats may be egoists, but they do not suffer from vanity. And then a few pages later, you say, humans look to love for relief from boredom. 
the comfort of being an object of affection or obsession, mm. an opportunity to wield power and inflict mm. pain on themselves and others, mm. and the excitement that can come from self-destruction of between, <laughs> I, and, and I've had some of those relationships, by the way, uh, yeah. um, love between humans and animals lacks these blemishes and losing it may be more shattering than the end of a purely yes. human love. And so I'm wondering if you think that love between a human and a cat is purer than the love that exists between humans. It can be. It can be. Uh, I mean, I, some of those quotes you mentioned were in a section of the book where I um, summarize um, a rather beautiful memoir by the American writer Mary Gateskill uh, called Lost Cat, which is about how... One of my favorite writers, one of my favorite uh, New York writers. One of mine too. And uh, um, not just this book, though I love this book, but other books she's written before and after. Bad Behavior was a, a seminal yeah. book for me as a, as a young girl. Yeah, uh, wonderful writer. Uh, a unique writer in, in some ways, I think. And she describes the impact of this tiny little one-eyed cat that she uh, 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 adopted in Italy and brought back to America, which unfortunately disappeared after only living with her for a year, and was never found. And it plunged her into the most profound uh, uh, upset and, uh, and, and, and grief. And yet it also taught her, she says, something about the love she'd had in her own life, uh, of a father who's been dying of uh, cancer, uh, and about love in general. So um, that's the context in which I uh, uh, made those the comments. So I do think, uh, let's put it like this, I think it's easier. I don't think a pure love or a love which can be distilled somehow into uh, pure, uh, a certain kind of depth and stability and purity. I don't think it's impossible for humans at all. I think many people... Uh, do achieve something like it, but it's easier for humans to have it with an animal. I mean, mm. do you think that if we have that with animals, that that the purity of that human mm. feline love, let's say, mm. can spill over into other relationships I, or, I or perceptions? I think so. Of course, it's the purity maybe in a way too much for humans to to absorb because one of the things cats love humans in the sense of uh, loving to be with them. Uh, I think a cat loves you in the sense that it wants to be with you. It enjoys your company. It he or she enjoys your company and loves that. It, but they may not need, you see, the, the, the lesson, which is a hard lesson, I think, to, to learn for humans, is they can love us without needing us. Uh, if they lose us, they may miss us for a while, but not in the way that when a human uh, uh, when a human love ends, it's very commonly, if not almost always, traumatic. Uh, and so that's sort of a way in which, again, humans um, humans are different from uh, from cats. But it may be that we can learn to be less possessive. It may be that we can learn to be less obsessive uh, uh, in our relationships with um, other people. Not only lovers, but also maybe friends and others and family members and others that we have deep uh, relations of affection with. We can we can learn something about that more. Um, uh, relaxed and simple and pure uh, uh, relationship uh, uh, that that we want uh, by 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 observing cats. It's nothing we can't become them the way they are. Uh, be, uh, partly because, um, of course, the way they grow up as kittens, the way they develop, the way they then become independent, and the way, they're more solitary creatures actually than humans can be. Than humans are, are they not? I mean, they hunt alone. They spend a lot of time alone. Uh, they also live together in litters and. And, and families, but not in the way in the deeply 
a profoundly attached way that I think um, humans humans no normally do. So we're back to that central paradox, which is in the book, which is that um, um, we can see how cats live more happily, more freely, more calmly, even although they can. <laughs> just they displace sudden sometimes <laughs> yes, bouts of fury, fury and so on. Uh, sometimes but, not so much. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, not so much, and they can fight with each other. Uh, but uh, um, um, it's it's not the kind they don't have these kind of qualities of obsession and fixation. Well, they love by choice and and not be yeah, by, yeah. by by necessity. Let's say and by desire. When, and by, yes. and by desire when exactly. they want, to, they don't feel they're obliged to love if they, if it fades away or they don't feel it anymore. That's it. And it might be that would be better off. Uh, I mean, this might horrify some more traditionally uh, moral minded people. They might say, "You mean if you just?" Stop. But I, what I wouldn't say. I mean, what I mean is not that we should not discharge our obligations if we have obligations to parents to others we uh, in our family or other we should discharge them and they're difficult as i'm sure you know you mentioned uh, they're difficult to do we should do that but we shouldn't feel that we we must love when we no longer love or don't love cats would never think of that the cats would never would never dream of thinking they should feel something <laughs> that they don't feel no uh, well, you know, and, and that's interesting, too, because toward the end of the book, you say, um, and I'm going to quote you again, um, one burden we can give up is the idea that there could be a perfect life. Yes, it is not yes. that our lives are inevitably imperfect. They are richer than any idea of perfection. Yes. Good life is not a life you may have led or may yet lead, but the life you already have. Yes. Here, cats can be our teachers for they do not miss the lives they have not lived. And and why is it, why do you think it is that the cats are so much better at this, at this sense of living in the moment, let's say, or of enjoying this life as the best of all possible well, lives? We, we, we humans live um, most of our lives in our own imaginations. Um, that's to say the world in which we live is one created by our imagination. And that's partly because we form pictures of ourselves and of other people in our lives, uh, in our imaginations, and then we interact with them but it's also for the reason we discussed earlier Gwen which is that we can't help almost being humans we can't help fantasizing and thinking and fearing and dreading and and yearning for the future whereas cats uh, don't do that uh, uh, so um, the um, the difference between us and cats is 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 in that uh, uh, fundamental uh, area now that leads to this tricky and I think burdensome idea of perfection. When I wrote that, I, the passage you just quoted, when I tried to be very clear about what I'm saying, I'm not saying presenting the rather banal, commonplace thought, your life will always be imperfect. I'm presenting the opposite of that thought. We have no clear idea of perfection, actually. We don't know what it will be like if we think it be, would be perfect to be lying on a beach in Hawaii for the rest of our lives. Doesn't uh, sound uh, bad to me. Well, <laughs> maybe for a couple of weeks. For a couple of weeks. You'd probably yeah. get bored eventually. Exactly. You would. I mean, we don't actually know what it would be like after a few weeks or a few months. Sure. Our, idea, our ideas of a perfect life, they're um, imperfect <laughs> themselves, uh, but they're also, they mix together things we think we can have all the good things all mixed together and blend them all together when in fact uh, we can't. Cats never compare the lives that they lead with the lives they could lead or could have 
led. So they don't have this terrible source of human unhappiness. I wish I'd never done that. I wish I'd, I wish I'd never married that man or that woman. I wish I'd never taken the degree in law. Or I wish I should have taken the degree in law when I was instead goofing about. They don't have any of those um, regrets. Cats live, and I think this is very profound, cats live without regret. And that's a very profound uh, difference. And something we, I think we should, if we've done something wrong, which we really think is wrong, we should try to rectify it whenever that's um, uh, possible. But we shouldn't regret the lives we haven't lived because the life we have lived and even are yet to live will be much richer than anything we could dream up. That's what, uh, uh, what we dream up is a sort of, um, a selection, and a kind of short anthology <laughs> of our best moments so far. And we think of almost our lives as books. I'm up to chapter six out of 10. Uh, um, I'm up to, if I'm older, I'm up to nine out of 10. My God, I've got to make the last chapter the best one. If you do that, uh, um, you'll be very anxious and you'll probably be unhappy because you, you won't achieve what you want because life is too, too uncertain. Much better to Commit yourself to enjoy and appreciate and savor the life that you have. Uh, and even the bad parts, of, even the hard parts that are difficult and painful, uh, which are in every human life, um, will be easier to bear if you're not keeping at the back of your mind an idea of a different life that you could have been living or could still live. This is your life. And that's what cats, that's what cats do. I mean, they'll run away from pain and danger. They're not afraid of doing that i mean the initial i mean cats always i think you might have initially unless they feel that corner they run away don't they when they're threatened you are no you are absolutely right and and i think it's also you know the thing that i always remind myself of when when my mind starts to wander into that i should have done this or i shouldn't have done that is that it really is impossible to know a counterfactual Um, and and that when all is said and done every life has its satisfactions Mm. and its dissatisfactions and there is no path you could have taken all you would have been doing is maybe maybe and that is a hard maybe trading the dissatisfactions you currently have for a different sense of for a different set you know a different yet equally vexing set of dissatisfactions Uh, equally vexing it's like if i had if i had if i'd taken if i'd stuck in that law degree for the fifth year and hadn't left them i would have now been well would you have been and if you had been what do you think you might have wanted i might have been a district attorney how happy or unhappy would you be you don't know you know it's interesting that you mentioned law school because i specifically was on track to go to law mm. school before i decided mm. to to not mm. go to law school and i always remind myself if whenever mm. i i think maybe i should have that at high school mm. reunions you very often run into lawyers who wish mm. they had pursued that career as a novelist you never yeah. re- meet novelists who say, I wish I'd been a lawyer. So <laughs> I, I well, remind it, myself. <laughs> well, at least, at, at least not moderately successful novelists. Exactly. <laughs> anyway. Exactly. Uh, um, uh, even if they earn much less and even if their life is much more insecure, it's uh, something they get uh, something out. But I think, you know, the way we approach our lives, we human, it's a bit like trying to turn them into a novel, but it's unlike any good novel that's ever been written that it has no bad parts or if they're in there they could be taken out but that's not really a human no, life that is certainly not if you um, take all the bits out when the mistakes were made or when the when you were disillusioned or disappointed or uh went on what you think then there's no life left so you conclude this book with with a list of 10 feline hints on how to live well <laughs> and and i yeah. do not expect you to give us the full list here because I, yeah, yeah. obviously i want people to read the book but yeah. i was wondering if you could possibly leave us with a few ideas mm. 
Well, one of them is the one we've just uh, discovered, although it's, it's not in that list, but it's implied in the list. Um, uh, live your life without regret. I mean, so, for example, let me give you one of them, which is supposing you look at cats, you live with cats, you, you, you love cats, but you find you really can't live like a cat. Uh, uh, you can't give up worrying about the future. You can't um, shed the illusions and the fantasies we have about our future life and the, and the worries. Supposing you can't do that. Well, my advice in, I think it's the last of the 10 feline hints in the book is um, return to the illusions of human life without regret. Go back to all of these. See, cats don't um, um, uh, take part in, they don't find uh, uh, solace in religions as far as we know. But don't spurn religions out of the uh, belief that they're illusions. If you can't live with the lucidity of a cat, because one of the things about the cats is that they're so lucid in their view of the world. I mean, they don't retreat as humans do into illusions. But if you can't live like that, then my advice is find a religion that suits you particularly one which has lots of beautiful ritual because uh, religions, I think, in the end that work well are ones that involve physical activity, that involve uh, 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 rituals. That have been, Find a religion, doesn't matter which one, that might sound terribly shocking, but as long as it's not harmful in some obvious way, find it and commit yourself. Just walk into the, the church, the temple, the uh, synagogue, wherever, whatever it is, and take it up. If you can't find a religion, if you don't like religion, or you just find them not to your taste. Return to the everyday life that keeps us going without, that's to say, have love affairs, which you know will be disappointed. Get, 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 launch yourself into political careers, which will end in nothing. Write novels that will never be finished. Uh, uh, it's like you the, read my biography. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Why are you reciting my credits? <laughs> do, all of these, do all of these things. And if you really commit yourself to them wholeheartedly, you will you you'll put it you you'll escape the sense of emptiness and fear that um, sometimes uh, uh, attacks uh, human beings. So um, I think not to regret, not to um, uh, you would simply be accepting. I am this kind of human, just as cats accept that I'm very happy with being cats. I am this kind of human being. Most human beings, most of the time, are like this. All human beings, some of the time, are like this, uh, which um, is haunted by the fear of death, haunted by mortality, wants to be different from what it is, knows somehow that it won't be, but still wants to be, be different. Just accept it and live, live a normal human life. You'll be less un, unhappy. So that's uh, kind of one of the key uh, um uh, uh, cat hit, cat. Now, remember, remember what I say in the book is that if, first of all, cats would never dream of teaching humans how to live. No. And, second, and secondly, if they did, they'd do it only for their own amusement. Well, I was going to say, they, they, <laughs> I, I can't imagine they wouldn't think it was a waste of time, although perhaps an entertaining one. Uh, that's what I say. They do it for entertainment. Uh, uh, they're not cats. The last thing our, our, our cats are is didactic or evangelist. They don't wouldn't evangelize ever. <laughs> no. <laughs> no they're, right. they're not going to say, this is, but you should live like a cat. Uh, first of all, they wouldn't think they could do it. Uh, they would, uh, and they'd be right. They would look. They would say, "What well, this ridiculous shambling, uh, maybe lovable and uh, uh, in some ways quite uh, 
a pleasant and uh, uh, creature couldn't possibly live like like we do, uh, the way that we do. So they would never they they, they would they would they would never never do it. But uh, but if they were to give advice, it would be one which it would be advice in a way maybe quite different from a lot of traditional um, moral advice, which is to uh, the advice would be to um, accept your nature. I mean the other kind of little. Uh, uh, cats sleep a lot and they never regret sleeping. So one of my cat hints was uh, um, sleep for pleasure, not profit. Don't sleep in order to be more productive the next day. <laughs> I'm, I'm already know. way ahead of you on that one, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sleep because you enjoy sleep. I mean, sometimes you have to. I mean, if you're very, very busy, you have to sleep in order to be productive no, of the course. next day. But that, the best sleep is the sleep that you enjoy as a pleasure um, uh, um, in itself. And also, the other ones, uh, touching on our earlier discussion, but as well as don't feel that you need to love human beings that you don't leave, uh, that you don't love. If you feel that, you might end up hating them. If you feel you need to love someone, you might end up hating them. And you might end up hating yourself for hating them. Better to be more detached, even indifferent, because then you might gradually find that that attachment or indifference turns into kindness uh so it's it's, so it's the, the, the the what i call feline ethics of course many people think the whole idea of feline ethics is ridiculous they would say cats are you know they don't have I, they do have a kind of ethics what i call selfless egoism which is that they, they are they do what they want to do uh they love whom they want to love they, they'll give their lives for their kittens uh um uh, they'll suffer terribly for their kittens if they if they had to. So they do love other 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 things, but it's not because they feel obligated to do. It's not because they have a an image of themselves which says this is how I should behave, uh, or because there's some rule, moral rule or commandment or categorical injunction which tells them to do that. Because that's what they want to do. I think that's uh, um, something um, which we could learn from uh, for cats. I think the other thing though is uh, how uh, quickly uh, and and, and in a way, easily satiated cats are. The big thing about humans is they're, compared with cats, is they're insatiable. We're all, you say, well, I've read 50 books. I want to read 150. Uh, I've read, I've had um, 60 cuisines. I want all the human cuisines. Now, some people will say, that's wonderful. That shows how striving and purposeful and progressive humans are. But the idea of progress in one's own life, that if you think of your life as a kind of project of, progress in which it gets better and better. First of all, it never works like that. Things happen. There are pandemics, wars, accidents, uh, good and bad things that happen to you, which you could never have planned and you never will be able to plan. It never works out like that. But it also means that you defer your happiness to later in your life and ultimately to the point at which it's too late. Uh, uh, your life is gone before you know it. And you turn around and you say, well, I've been planning the whole thing, but I'm in the last chapter. I might not even, I might have thought it was only chapter seven. Turns out to be chapter 12. Oh dear. Uh, um, so cats, we can learn from cats and that's what they would hint to us. But if they could, or if they had any interest in doing so, uh, uh, but uh, they, they, um, they wouldn't expect us to take their advice, I don't think. They'd be amused even at our attempts to take take our, our advice. They would, I don't know if they think we were smart enough to do so. <laughs> I, I think they would definitely think that we aren't smart enough <laughs> to think that they do. But they might still do it for fun. <laughs> they, uh, they might. Uh, or, or, you know, I was going to say, I don't know. I don't know if I've ever met a generous cat per se, but perhaps no, um, I don't think the spirit they're, of generosity. They're a bit like they're a bit like 
Zen masters. I read a true story of a Zen master uh, uh, in Japan, and he had a pupil. It's an American pupil, as it turned out, who'd been sitting uh, for 15 years. <laughs> uh, the, it was called, it's called just sitting meditation, sitting for 15 years. And he would, it, it, very infrequently, he would see the master, and the master would say, go back and sit, and he'd go back and sit another two or three years. And then after 15 years, he went to see the master. And I can imagine a cat uh, responding like this. Uh, the, when he said to the master, after 15 years, I have a very small part of myself, which is a tiny little part of myself, which is peace and tranquility. And uh, the master said, mm, yes, yes. He said, well, once you've destroyed that, you can begin to progress. <laughs> <laughs> now, you see, in other words, if you, if you strive to be tranquil, if you strive to be peaceful, you strive to improve yourself spiritually, you won't achieve anything. Give that up and and follow your nature. I mean, this is why the one philosopher I, I mentioned in the book where I really like, and he's something we can, he's a philosopher we can all learn something about how to live from. One of the very, very, is Michel de Montaigne, the French uh, uh, early modern essayist who loved cats and who uh, said of his cat, when, my, when I play with my cat, how do I know my cat's not playing with me? And in him, you'll find basically he says, um, uh, you should follow your nature with a little bit of art. Our natures are very human natures. Humans are very sturdy creatures. We can be damaged. We can be traumatized. We're very sturdy creatures. Uh, we make ourselves uh, fragile by um, thinking constantly of, the, of what can happen to us, actually, of, of the dangers that cats don't have that. And so if we rely on our nature, uh, we can be happy. And uh, one of the advice points I say, don't try to drive away thoughts of death. Let them let those thoughts die away. That's what uh, uh, Montaigne uh, said. He died relatively early after a period of, um, I think he was in his early 40s, after a period of, um, of, of ill health. And he lived in a time when it was dangerous to express lots of opinions, I mean, about various things, religion, there were wars of religion, could end your life uh, if you did. And yet I think he, um, he, lived, he lived happily, partly by observing animals, but especially perhaps his his cat, and that's um, uh, 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 he learned. I mean, his essays, I think, embody some of the wisdom that uh, he got from cats. One of them, in one of them, he says, "Imagine a cat jumping across a precipice or between two houses, two roofs of houses. Never thinks about it. And that's why it's able to do it." By the way, don't copy this. <laughs> don't try this at home. No, but I think don't, you're yeah. you're absolutely right. There's something, uh, you know, and and you do talk about this a little bit in in the book as well. But the sense of the, the fluidity of of unselfconsciousness, the ability yeah, yeah, to yeah. accomplish things when you let yeah. go. I, I yeah. certainly, and I'm sure you find this as a writer too. But that yeah. is when the greatest writing happens is when yeah. you when you forget to try, basically. Yeah. And, don't and you, don't don't flows. don't 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 teeter on the edge of the of of the, of the press. Right. Thinking, thinking. Well, I'm going to work out a theory of gravity and a geometrical pattern, and then I'll jump. If you do that, you'll fall <laughs> straight to the bottom. I <laughs> mean, personally, I, if it's me, I'm going to fall no matter what. But I do yeah. take your point. <laughs> I, I, I certainly I, do take your point. I, uh, it's best for humans not to jump. Again, we do want to emphasize this. This podcast is not encouraging anybody to jump off a roof or, or attempt to no. jump from one rooftop to another the way that a cat or, or possibly Spider-Man could do. <laughs> or and not to try and even do any of the things that cats no. do. Now, <laughs> no, not none of the could, physical feats that cats can accomplish. No, but we can learn spiritually from them. We can learn uh, how to live more peacefully uh, uh, from them. We can learn 
we can, the lessons they can teach us are not to regret, uh, to live in the present, to um, uh, to be what one is and be happy with one. Not to spend. I remember seeing a, um, a, a film about cats in Greece. I've seen cats on Greek islands myself, actually. But I remember seeing a rather memorable film in which there are about fifty cats watching the sun go down which they did every night. They never got bored with it. Uh, now, they weren't there sitting thinking, well, you know, this, this, this view would be immensely improved if we could only get a few uh, cat sanctuaries into it. The, the moment itself, uh, especially uh, repeated, because cats, as I'm sure you agree, uh, Gwen, they love routine. Oh, absolutely. They absolutely do. Um, but I also think that that comes down to to a sense of living in the, the present and, yes, and you find yes. something that works. And, and to your earlier point, you're not just looking for the next new thing or the next more exciting thing or or the next step yeah. in, in the progression towards some as yet distant ultimate goal. But but the 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 small joys and simple pleasures that happen in the moment. Yeah. Their lives aren't projects. They don't That's actually an excellent life. way of putting it. Yeah, their lives aren't projects, and they do say look back and say, "Well, I, I succeeded in forty-five percent of my life. Um, if only I hadn't been such so sort of distracted in uh, that period. I mean, it, could have been, it could have been fifty-three. How terrible!" Uh, um, they don't think any of that. That's, uh, and I think that's, and I think there are Montagna. I mean, he may have romanticized the simple people he wrote about, but he wrote sometimes about simple people who met in town or peasants or others. He may have romanticized, but he, he thought that people who didn't dwell on their lives, uh, uh, constantly trying to delve into them and make them better, uh, he thought that those people, in fact, uh, had better lives. Uh, in other words, he thought that a certain unphilosophical approach to life was the best philosophy. And that's why I was say, I, that's uh, sort of the, uh, you know, one of the first things you learn in, in philosophy 101 is Socrates yeah. and, and the unexamined yeah. life is not worth living. But the, this it seems to be an inversion of that, that it's actually Absolutely. the examined I, life that, that I think, becomes I think, unbearable. I think the, the examined life is quite commonly uh, not worth living. <laughs> uh, uh, I, th I think, uh, especially if it's overly don't let my therapist hear you say that. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he or she might not. Uh, You're putting uh, me out of business. But. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, I think that's very often true. And um, that, um, uh, I mean, sometimes circumstances force you to examine your life. So then you should. Of course. Because uh, you're a human being. But the idea that you should, that human beings can't live well unless they've examined their lives. Well, actually, what would that mean? When it would mean that most human beings didn't have good lives. Most human beings could never have good lives, which is surely not true. There must surely have been many, many, many human lives that were well worth living that weren't examined at all. I, must, I think you are undoubtedly right about that. Um, yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I, I think we all know somebody who, who just lives their life yeah. and, and is happy in, in the doing so. And you know, I know my grandmother was a person who always had something. She was she always had something to to do and did yeah. not necessarily spend a lot of time philosophizing and, and yeah. was the was the better for it, let's say. Yeah. Well, John, you, you have been incredibly generous with your time and, not a and bit. certainly given us a lot to think about. Well, and, Gwen, and I'm you've just been so incredibly happy. you've been incredibly thoughtful and um uh, and uh, friendly and enjoyable in your questions and comments and in the knowledge you've shown. Not only of my book, but more importantly, uh, uh, or my and my other books, my work, but more importantly, 
of cops. <laughs> and that, that takes a big writer to say more importantly yeah. than my boss. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Very rarely do you just want to hear a writer <laughs> begin or end a sentence that way, but more importantly than my books. Yes. Uh, but I well, thank the, you. The, I... the books point to the cats, uh, especially <laughs> this, this last book. And um, I'm so glad that by writing this, that book, I've had a chance to talk to you. Well, thank you so much. And, and again, the book is Feline Philosophy, Cats and the Meaning of Life. And I definitely encourage everybody listening here to check it out. Thanks so much for listening. And please do hit the subscribe button and be sure to join us again next week for another all new episode of Curl Up with a Cattail. And that concludes this episode of Curl Up with a Cattail with Gwen Cooper. Don't forget to invite your feline loving friends to listen to new episodes along with you. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, find out how to get your name and your cat's name included in my next book, or leave comments or questions for me to answer in future podcasts, head on over to GwenCooper.com now. Thanks so much for joining me, and don't forget to hug your cat today.